Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Would you open a Bible with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 11? That is where we will be reading in just a few moments from God's Word. It is so good to be with you this morning. It is good to worship. It is good to be ready to worship and to give our all in worship. What a a beautiful thought we have just sung. Oh, Savior, precious Savior, my heart is at your feet. That is the attitude that we want to have as we open up God's Word. We're, we're not pausing our worship and picking it up in just a little while. After our sermon, we want to worship over God's book. We want to use God's book to worship. We want to worship through that book. And so as we have God's Word open and we seek to see and hear Him, I'd encourage you to continue with that worshipful zeal with which you have sung together this morning. We have guests with us. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully you got on the way in this morning a a bulletin and on the inside of that is just a basic outline of where we want to be in God's Word. We've been talking here over the course of the last few weeks in a variety of different ways. Our, our littlest hearts among us have a little bit of a head start from vacation Bible school. But we've been talking about lessons for life from the trees of the Bible. And I shared with you last Sunday morning, and I believe it with all of my heart, that If you understand the trees, if you can see the trees, from a tree in a garden to a tree on a hill of death to a tree in a heavenly city, if you can understand what's going on with those trees, you are well on your way in a basic sense to understanding what this big book that we call the Bible is is all about. It is one big story and a a story that can be summarized in a variety of different ways. Here's one. Trust and obey. We've talked a couple of different times about how trust is like our root system. Trust stabilizes us. Trust refreshes our God-given hearts. God is not only telling us, but showing us in His Word that He is worthy of our trust. And that if we will trust, if we will believe that His way is the best way and and walk in those paths, the, the, the biblical word for that, of course, is obedience. But it's not just for Him, it is It is for our good. We bear fruit. Not because we have figured out the secret or because we're better than everybody else. We're we're, we're more special somehow than everyone else that isn't listening to God. It's, It's God that causes that fruit to be born. It is God that causes fullness of life. Even in the midst of great adversity 
fullness of life open to us if we will trust and obey. Last Sunday morning, we spent some time in the very beginning in the garden. And of course, you know that the first three-fourths of the Bible we call the Old Testament. That is a big section of scripture many pages many chapters many books and sometimes it can get easy to be lost in that big section of the bible called the old testament as we continue our study could i give you eight words that in many ways summarize the entire Old Testament. Maybe you've read the Old Testament many, many times. Maybe you've never read it before, but you're familiar with a little bit of it. Maybe you are brand new to the Bible and, and someone has shared with you the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and you've read some in Acts, but that first three-fourths of the Bible, that's you're still finding that really, really, really challenging. We need to dig deep into the Old Testament. And we do that in a variety of different ways. But for our purposes this morning, could I give you just eight words that summarize the first three-fourths of your Bible? Here's the first four. Sin makes life hard. You want a summary of Genesis 3 all the way to the last chapter of the last Old Testament book, Malachi. Here it is. Sin makes life hard. We got just a brief sense of that at the end of our time together last Sunday morning in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are tempted to act as if we know better than God. Maybe God doesn't love us as much as we were initially led to believe. Maybe it would be better if we pushed the limits and, and stepped outside a little of what God has told us. And when Adam and Eve gave in to their desires... Remember last Sunday morning we talked about that has been the battlefield ever since. My heart, your heart, a battle of desires. And when they decided, you know what? We want our own desires more than what God has said. We think it would be okay to go ahead and do what we want to do, irregardless of what God has said. The eyes of both of them were opened. Genesis 3 tells us they hear the sound of God walking in this garden and they hide themselves. We talked about how beautiful that garden was, that God gave them not only trees that produced food that they could eat, but trees that were just beautiful to look at. Our God, we, we learned last Sunday, we reinforced in our minds, our God is such a gracious provider. And now Adam and Eve found themselves hiding. For the very first time, they experienced shame. 
And as a result of their disobedience, God sends them out from the garden. They and their descendants lose their access to the tree of life. And for the rest of your Old Testament, Genesis 3 to Malachi chapter 4. Here's four words that summarize pretty much everything. Sin makes life hard. Adam and Eve have one son who murders another son. We have a world that devolves to the point that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes and, and the intentions, the thoughts of humanity's minds is only evil continually. We have Sodom and Gomorrah, but you read in God's Word and it's not that, well, the problems are all out there. No, sin was in Abraham's tent. Sin was in Isaac's camp. Sin was all over Jacob's life. Sin broke young Joseph's life. We've got a Pharaoh intent on annihilating an entire race from the, the youngest up. We've got Moses grappling with sin. We've got judges, some of them somewhat admirable and many of them not at all. Not the, the, the greatest of examples. We've got King Saul. Finally, Israel has a king and he turns out to be an incredible disappointment. We get King David and he is far from innocent. We've got Solomon who loses his way. We've got a, a kingdom that divides. We've got people losing the land of promise. We've got them losing their temple. We've got them weeping in captivity far away from home. You, you want a summary of the Old Testament? Here's the first four words. Sin makes life hard. But the reason you and I are here today is that's not the end of the story. Because even in the midst of the, the darkest valleys of the Old Testament, here's our other four words. God has a plan. Genesis to Malachi in eight words. Sin makes life hard. God has a plan. Is your Bible open there to Isaiah chapter 11? Could I show you a beautiful promise? Isaiah chapter 11 that speaks to that plan. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. God through his prophet says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit that may not mean much to you on our first reading but my goal over the course of the next few minutes is to make sure you understand what good news that is Someone is going to come. It's not an it. 
He's a one, as we read Isaiah's prophecy. It comes in some of the most despair-filled years of Israel's history. I mean, there is hopelessness every direction you look in Isaiah. Sin makes life hard. God has a plan. And he's giving us a glimpse of that in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Someone is going to come. You may never have read Jesse in the Bible. Jesse was the father of Israel's great king David. And so every Israelite would know the significance of that Name. We go in our own nation maybe to see where Abraham Lincoln was born, for instance, where he grew up. He shows up on multiple license plates all over our union, right? And, and here's the idea. Names mean something to our collective history. This name meant something. This was the family line from whom that king after God's own heart arose among us. And if only we had a king like him again, maybe we wouldn't waste our God-given opportunities. But right now in Israel's history, all over the Old Testament, Isaiah 11 describes it well. It's like a dead stump. That's what the kingdom of Israel was like in the days of Isaiah and beyond. Why? Because the same problem as what we noticed last Sunday morning in Genesis chapter 3. We think we know better than God. We think sin isn't that big of a deal. We're not sure we can trust God as he tells us to do these things that nobody else is doing. We're not sure we can believe that he really is going to bring about something we've never seen with our physical eyes. And so, you know, we'll continue to give God little tokens here and there as long as it doesn't cost us too much. But by and large, we think we know better than God. How did that work for them? They were like a dead, cut-down stump of a tree. And then God sends someone like Isaiah. Or you go with me to your next book of the Bible, from Isaiah to Jeremiah. Can you find with me in your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 23, where I just want to show you all over God's Word in a kind of rapid-fire way how God describes what He was going to do through this cut-down, dead stump of Israel. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, where God, through another prophet, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for... Here's that family line again. Jesse was his father. David had been their greatest king. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And that one shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. All the things that so many of Israel's kings hadn't done, hadn't been. 
Someone is going to be different. Verse 6, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Can you imagine a king named the Lord is our righteousness? We've lost our way, but God is promising someone is coming because sin has made our lives hard, but God has a plan. In Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16, he reiterates, Behold, the days are coming. When I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. David and his family line, his entire former kingdom may be like a dead cut down stump. But I will cause life to spring from that cut down stump, he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, here it is again, Judah will be saved, Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. This branch will be known as the Lord is our righteousness. Was the last time you opened a Bible to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, one of those really challenging Old Testament prophets. But here it is. As God speaks to the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch, before the prophecy is done. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. From Genesis to Malachi, sin makes life hard. But you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1 where we begin to see God's plan unfolding in its greatest fulfillment of all. Someone comes, in fact, from this family line. He doesn't have an earthly father. He's born of a virgin. But his birth is not his beginning. John, in John chapter 1 and verse 1, echoes the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning. In the beginning, God didn't simply create. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made and it's easy for us perhaps at first just to think of that in physical terms right all the wonders of creation that we talked a little bit about last Sunday morning what I want you to see this morning is he's not just the maker of the planet on which you sit this morning he is the maker of the plan that is able to save your soul and so 
For instance, in Isaiah 11, I want you to notice the language carefully. He is not just the shoot. He's not just the fruit that comes out of that dead, cut-down stump of Israel. He, in fact, is the fruit and the root. He lived a thousand years, walked a thousand years after David reigned in Israel. But before David was born, he was. Before there was light, he was. He is the root that answers our greatest problem. Sin makes life hard. God has a plan. And so this root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire. This isn't just for descendants of Abraham. This isn't just for Jewish people. His resting place shall be glorious and all the nations can get in on what he has done. And so the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the thoroughly Gentile city of Rome, listen to what he says. I tell you that Christ, Messiah, became a servant to the circumcised, to Jews, to that dead, cut-down stump to show God's truthfulness. They may not have been faithful to him. God was always faithful to them. God confirmed the promises given to the patriarchs. But it wasn't just for that one family line. And everybody, all of us on the outside looking in, well, maybe it's interesting to think about, but that's not for us. No. The Gentiles, through this plan, you and me, have the opportunity to glorify God for his mercy. He even reaches back and quotes what we just read from Isaiah. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. You know what that hope sounded like 2,000 years ago? You know what that hope continues to offer 2,000 years later? You know why people all over this planet have gathered on this first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Sin makes life hard. God has a plan. And because His plan has been fulfilled, we have hope. And here's what it sounds like. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Where else are we going to go? He has the words of eternal life. He walked among us and said and showed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the king of a kingdom that has been growing for two thousand years years it started so small on that day of Pentecost we reflected on 
in our observance of His Supper. It started like a single grain, a single seed, an exceedingly small seed. But when it has grown, would you reflect on the fact with me this morning? You are or you can be a part of a kingdom that has stood for 2,000 years. There is no other kingdom in the history of humanity that can make that claim. You can be a part of this kingdom. You are perhaps a part of this kingdom that has grown into a mighty tree for the good of others. Why? Because he has Come, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is the shoot that comes out of that dead stump. He's the root that makes it all possible. That is the news we need to come face to face with this morning. Remind ourselves of at the start of this new week. Before we're done, I need you to go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, because he came not just as our king. He came not just as the greatest figure in the history of all of the world. He came as Savior. As sacrifice for our sins. He who knew no sin. For our sins. And I want you to see crystal clearly this morning. Sin makes life hard. Adam and Eve, when they acted as if they knew better than God, lost their access to the tree of life. But ladies and gentlemen, it is no mistake or coincidence how... Jesus' death is described. For instance, Acts chapter 5 and verse 30. The apostle Peter with the rest of the apostles are proclaiming this news. And I want you to notice the language they use. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now, perhaps all on its own, that's an interesting way of describing a cross. I mean, crosses are made of wood. Is Peter just groping for words, trying to avoid using a word that would be jarring or even offensive? What's going on here? If this were just a one-time statement, well, okay, we get what he means, but perhaps it's a strange way to describe a cross to us. He does it again in Acts chapter 10 in preaching to a Gentile and his household describing himself and his fellow apostles as witnesses of all that this Jesus did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. 
Okay, well, maybe that's just Peter's favorite way of describing vividly the cross. No, not just Peter. Paul, as he proclaims the gospel in thoroughly Gentile territory, says, when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. He wrote to the Galatians that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so what are we to do with this? Let's go quickly to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. From a tree in a garden. To a tree on a hill of death. In a garden, sin makes life hard. But we don't even get out of the chapter and we hear that God has a plan. A plan that over the course of many centuries and hundreds of pages in your Bible leads to a tree on a hill of death. And here is the gospel. Jesus, God's own son, is willing to go all the way to a tree of death. To help us regain what we lost. God's own perfect son is willing to go all the way to a tree of death. That we might be brought to life. Brought to life in what way? Read it with me in Ephesians chapter 2. You see, Israel is not the only one that's really a dead cut down, hollowed out stump. Without God, that's a pretty good description of my life and your life. Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were not hanging on, not enduring, not, you know, scraping by in the midst of severe personal drought. You're, you're not doing pretty good, all things considered. You're dead. I'm dead. Cut down, hollowed out, dead. Because I decided, you decided at some point, I think I know better than God. And over there is the good life. And I bought that lie and sin did exactly what it did to Adam and Eve. It killed me and it killed you. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Here were people somehow, some way that it could be said they, they once walked in the... They, they once were dead. They once had been following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I want you to listen to that language. Now at work. 
Listen, this world stands and you live long enough, you're going to run across some frustrating people this week. And you're going to have a choice, I'm going to have a choice as to how I interact with, how I deal with, how I react to those frustrating people. Could I challenge you, even as I challenge myself this morning, let's realize a whole lot of people out there are living foolish, frustrating to us lives because they're dead. That's not true of the Christian. Which means you and I shouldn't be acting like them. We shouldn't be reacting like them. We shouldn't be enduring like them. Here is the description as to why the world in which we'll live this week is the way that it is. People are presently following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. There it is, the perpetual battlefield, the desires of the body and the mind. What do I want more? What's my real food? When I decide I want what I want more than what God wants, I become a children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sin makes life Hard. God has a plan. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Dead, cut down, hollowed out stump. God made something new. He made us alive. He made us alive together. He made us alive together with Christ. The same God who caused His Son to rise from the dead on this first day of the week. Made many people in this room by their faith through His grace come alive. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing an invitation song rooted in this news. I want you to listen carefully to it. Because we read, for instance, what Peter and the rest of the apostles preached in Acts 5, 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. You killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God exalted him. At his right hand as leader and savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We we heard Peter preaching to Cornelius and his household. They put the son of God to death by hanging him on a tree. But God used a tree to cause new life. God raised him on the third day. Made him to appear to him all the prophets. That first three-fourths of your your entire Bible, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We heard Paul in Acts 13, when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. 
That's not the end of the story. God raised him from the dead. Let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Yes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. But he did that so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Listen, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? A tree of death so that we could be brought to life. By his wounds, you've been healed. You were straying. I was straying like a sheep. Here is the way home. Here is the way to return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing in many ways a, a kind of curious song. Just as I am. Because ladies and gentlemen, there are a whole lot of people who buy into the idea that, well, all of this sounds good, maybe too good to be true, but you don't know what I've done. I, I'm interested, perhaps I'm motivated, but i got to leave here and get my act together. And then once I get my act together, I'll walk with him. But you see, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, apart from God, ha having decided you know better than God, you want what you want more than you want Him, you're dead. It's not just Old Testament Israel. You're like a dead, cut down, sin hollowed out trunk. A shell of what it means to live in the image of God. But God was willing to go all the way to a tree of death. So that you could experience something new. Something that only he can provide. And for 2,000 years people have been invited to come just as they are, because the power is in him and not in us. The grace is in him, most certainly not in us. And we see that most clearly in this good news truth. And so if you, like so many before you, are ready and willing to turn away from sin that continues to kill you and hollow you out and make you just a shell of what you know you ought to be. If you're willing to come just as you are to this God who loved you enough to go this far, who reigns this morning, who hears everything going on this morning, who sees and wants a relationship with you. If 
you're ready to cry out to him, if you're ready to wash those sins away in baptism so that you, like he, can be raised from death to new life. I mean it when I say, we mean it when we say, this invitation song is for you. Let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together.